0: Everybody and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop podcast.
1: I'm Keith Caulfield, senior director of charts at Billboard, and I'm Jason Lipschitz, Billboard's senior director of music. Hello, Jason. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Uh, I'm hoping my audio is uh, is doing okay because you can kind of hear me, kind of not. Can you? Uh, I'm. How are you doing though? I, I'm I'm swell, and I heard about half of that. So that's all
0: we really all we need. need. Um, because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's Weekly Charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news about how 6ix9ine and Nicki Minaj's new single, Trolls, with a Z, debuted straight in at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and how Little Baby's new single, The Bigger Picture, debuts at number three plus we've got an interview with darren chris the singer and songwriter drops by to discuss his new show royalties in which he plays one half of a struggling songwriting team trying to make it big in the music industry and of course hilarity ensues so stick around for that in just a bit
1: but first before we get started keith uh of course if you enjoy the podcast subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you never ever ever miss an episode and if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. That is plural. Okie dokie. Let us do the chat of the charts.
0: First up on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, rappers 6 9 and Nicki Minaj jump straight in at number one with their new single, Trolls. Last week's leader, to Baby's Rock star featuring Roddy Rich, falls to number two. Uh,
1: obviously, this is the first number one for Six Nine, uh, so uh, you know that's big for him. And this the second for Nicki Minaj. She she waited like a decade to get her first number one. Uh, she just did so on the "Say So" remix uh, from Doja Cat uh, a few weeks ago, um, and now she has number two. Uh, The track launches at number one,
0: well, the new track, not Say So, Trolls, obviously, launches at number one on the digital song sales chart, with 116,000 sold in the weekend in June 18th, according to Nielsen Music MRC data, and at number three on the streaming songs chart, with 36 million U.S. streams in the same span of time. It also drew uh, 1.2 million in radio airplay audience impressions, in the week ending June 21st.
1: And what's, what's incredible about this is it's only June, and Trolls is the fifth song to debut at number one on the Hot 100 this year, um, which is the most debuts at number one in a single year. And again, it's not even done half of the year. It's it's wild. Yeah, cut to December, and we'll have like 15! 15, 15 debuts at number one! It's
0: just, it's just a cavalcade of debuts coming right in. Um, the four other debuts at number one this year were... Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande's Rain On Me, uh, Grande and Justin Bieber's Stuck With You, The Scots' Travis Scott and Kid Cuddy's The Scots, and Drake's Toosie Slide. Uh, moreover, Trolls is also the seventh straight number one collaboration on The Hot 100. It follows "To Baby's Rockstar featuring Roddy Rich, Rain On Me, Megan Thee Stallion's Savage featuring Beyonce, Stuck With You, Say So, and The Scots
1: yeah which is which is really interesting keith because if you if you think about there was there was actually a, a period not too long ago where it was all solo artists at number 1 you had you know songs like blinding lights by the weeknd uh truth hurts by lizzo you just had a, a bunch of solo solo tracks at number 1 and now you have this huge run but it's actually it's it's kind of cool because it's it's led to some artists getting their first number one singles like you know kid cuddy you got his first number one single uh nick minaj before uh with doja cat who also got her first number one single so you know strength in numbers uh as they say get it get it keep see numbers on a chart because you know <laughs> the chart has numbers
0: ha ho hey okay anyway also on the hot 100 little baby debuts at number three with the bigger picture giving the rapper his third top 10 and his highest charting song yet okay. He previously visited the top 10 with Drip Too Hard with Gunna, which hit number 4 in October of 2018, Uh, and before that, Yes Indeed with Drake, hit number 6 that June. Speaking of a little baby, over on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, his My Turn album spends a second straight week atop the list, and a third week at number 1 overall. Notably, the top 10 is completely absent of debuts for the second week in a row, Uh, Now, that's kind of normal in, like, say, January, when not a whole lot of new albums are released after the Christmas season, but we haven't had two weeks of no top 10 debuts outside of that post-Christmas season since March of 2013. So uh, it's just a weird time where we just have two weeks straight of, you know, no debuts in the top 10. That could probably change next week because it looks like Bob Dylan and Tiana Taylor might debut in the top 10 but uh you know who knows if that will actually hold true uh that's just sort of I'm I'm throwing a dart at the chart forecast board right now but who knows don't hold me to that
1: well also also just really quickly that John Legend album which came out last week uh which is really great Bigger Love um and just really quickly Keith um I just want it, to it's been just a huge 6 months for Low Baby you mentioned his Mind turn album spending a second straight week at number 1 it's a great album and then the bigger picture which comes in a flurry of protest music, which we, we spoke about a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the most impactful songs um, that have been released over the past few weeks, and, and people are really connecting with it. Number three debut, his, his highest charting Hot 100 hit, so, so big congrats to him. And now, it's time for our interview with
0: Darren Chris. We caught up with the friend of the pod recently to talk all about his new show, Royalties, he created, co-wrote, stars in, and executive produced the show, which follows a pair of struggling songwriters, played by him and Keith Donahue, trying to make it big in the music business. Of course, hilarity ensues uh, during the limited series, which began airing earlier this month via the new short-form streaming platform, Quibi. He's joined in the show by a number of familiar faces, uh, including songwriter uh, Bonnie McKee, as well as Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill, who gets to sing a song about King Kong's penis. Yes, really, it will all sort of make sense when Darren explains it. So take a listen to our chat with Darren Chris. Welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Darren, Chris, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I can't believe—I mean, God, this is maybe my, like, third or fourth time
2: 17th. doing this? I just, uh, I, I, yeah, 17th. That was
0: close. Um <laughs> All right, so let's talk about your new Quibi show, Royalties. Uh, now, it was written by you and two of your uh, Team StarKid production company pals, Matt and Nick Ling, And it follows a pair of struggling songwriters as they try to make it big in the music industry. Um, Was the show something that had been kicking around as an idea for a while? Or or was this something that was invented more in recent times? Or or was this something that you had been hoping to do for a long time and this was like the perfect opportunity to make it happen?
2: Yes, this has been sitting around for a long time. I think it's been in my head for probably as long as I've I've known you, Keith. Um, So the second I started really... Navigating the, if we're at whatever you know uh, lower end of the totem pole, totem pole or, or not. I, I definitely started seeing the the comedy of errors that was the creative process in the music industry for better or for worse. And uh, I would meet pe- so many people, especially in the writing community, that you know really felt like their livelihood was ripe for a comedy. I can't tell you how many times I would meet with people you know who were interested because I would do sessions. And people would be interested that I was an actor, but also a songwriter. And people would say things like, oh, you know, I I always wanted to do a show about this, this or this. And I I had always wanted to as well. But it was interesting that so many people had the same notion, but didn't have the kind of dual citizenship that I was slowly acquiring between the sort of film and television production world and the, the song production world. I always did want to have some kind of show and uh, it it kind of morphed around for many years. It lived a couple different lives in a, in a few different places. And um, ultimately I decided that I really wanted to make this with the Lang simply because we had had such a shorthand working on all the star kid shows. And my main focus was to make it as goofy and, and very light and um, just scrappy as possible. I think one of the, that solidified as more and more music related melodramas yeah. came out, you know, with nothing against Empire or Nashville or Smash, but there's a certain heightened nature to those shows, which have, you know, really great things about them. Um, but I really wanted to be the kind of, I guess, what Reno you know, 911 is the cops, even <laughs> you know, that's not a great example. I, I guess there's something about music where if, you know, the less seriously you take, the world somehow the more behind the songs you can get sometimes it's, you know comedy's a really great um, kind of gateway drug into into sentiment into, into caring about something and so that's what we had done with StarKid for so long that I mean there's a certain oeuvre to that, to that work and a silliness to that that um, like I guess like I said it's not necessarily StarKid production but there is a, a voice and a comedy that um, I really kind of want to invite into this and so uh, once Quibi started making its presence known, you know, uh, a little more than, um, I'd say just, just shy of like two years ago, uh, there was whispers of this new thing. We had shot a pilot presentation, which is essentially like, you know, like cutting a demo, uh, to, you know, <laughs> uh, to talk music talk. And, uh, we a and would it around and saw who would want to do it. And, uh, Quibi really took an interest in their, their whole, um, creative model was very appealing to us, uh, and uh, they were, they just were the most enthusiastic and we were, we were flexible enough to the point where, you know, hearing something like let's do short form was really an interesting challenge for us. I actually quite enjoyed it because, you know, you really have to kind of uh, triage, you know, story elements and character arcs and how how can you make that work? So, um, you know, it's the same thing again, I, I, can't, the, the, the parallels to songwriting are, are infinite, you know, like when you have an assignment of like, you know, we want it to be, you know, this BPM, we want it to be under three minutes, and we want uh, to mention this word. That's kind of the same thing as, like, we want this show to be this kind of funny and, and under this amount of time. You know, parameters are good for artists. Yeah, yeah. Know, and especially for guys like me. Like, it's no coincidence that I've written more songs in the past, like, year than I have in my entire life because I had deadlines and purpose. Like, as an artist, for myself, I can't seem to write for myself. I, I really thrive for writing for other people. So anyway, between wanting to make a comedy of this world and writing songs and being in something, it just kind of scratched all the itches for me as a creative
0: person. Are there moments in the show where you're just like, yeah, that comes from literally a meeting that I had as Darren Chris, you know, pitching something to someone?
2: No, not necessarily. But I, I can't say yes or no. I mean, there, there's one theme that to me kind of encapsulates the entire show. And we, we had to cut it down quite a bit for time. But there's this real the the whole show to me is is not necessarily a love note of songwriting per se, as it is the creative process in general. Um, There is an episode that is that sort of dreaded, very infamous creative meeting where you have the creative minds meeting the corporate minds and uh, anybody who's ever worked on, gosh, like a marketing strategy or, or, you know, any, anything that involves creativity, you know, fighting commerce, not fighting, but trying to come to terms with commerce is this sort of age old, uh, yin and yang battle that is very funny and, uh, and very, very tough to kind of grapple with as a creative person. Um, and so I've certainly had those in other ways, certainly for arguably, maybe even things like royalties or for, uh, for, for anything that I've ever made, uh, whether with friends or with, with, uh, or, or people who were employing me, you know, it's, it's a very classic um, plight of the creative person. So it's definitely taken from that, but early on, you know, the there are so many, like, war stories that, that writers and producers have. And when I started making the show, so many people were like, oh, my God, you should tell the one about this and tell the one about that. And, you know, big songwriter names that were really hoping that I would put those in there. And, and while that was a really exciting idea at first to incorporate those stories, incorporate my own, you know, the Langs have no background in, in songwriting or the music industry which is actually, you know, kind of a good thing because- It makes it work
0: for a wide general audience who doesn't know the inner workings of the songwriting or music business.
2: Exactly. And you also have to focus on, you know, it's one thing to focus on funny stories, and it's another thing to focus on telling a k- cohesive story and create cohesive characters. You know, that's kind of one of the pitfalls of people when they want to make a show. Like, they don't really have the, the glue. They have just kind of fun pieces. And um, so, you know, as much as I wanted to make it about songwriting, it's really about two songwriters. Um, you know, if you look at like Thirty Rock, yes, it's about you know people putting on uh, uh, SNL, but it's really about the people and their kind of day-to-day kind of scrambles more so than it is the actual logistics of what it is to put on right. a weekly television production. So, right. so that's kind of what we're what we're dealing with.
0: Um, um yeah. So, um, one of the guest stars in the show is Mark Hamill, where we know that Mark Hamill is appearing in an episode. I'm wondering how in the world, I I have a couple questions about this. So how did you lure Mark Hamill into the show? Tell me how that happened.
2: You know, so part of, one of the major, uh, constructs that I wanted for the show was to have a different artist per episode playing a fake version, some bizarro version of, uh, some real person. Um, we had this one song that we loved or we didn't, it was before even the song was written. Uh, we just had this kind of country rock kind of Bruce Springsteen meets Tom Petty. If he was like Johnny Cash, if they all kind of became this one person and we had kind of knocked around a lot of different ideas for every single artist. You know, there were a lot of people and there was a, the song was really, really silly. And uh, it's a song about <laughs> a guy who uh, relates to King Kong's penis. Sure. Um, it's called no, Mighty as Kong. Uh, easy way to say that. Mighty as Kong. He, yeah. he finds solace in the size of King Kong, or uh, King Kong's alleged uh, size the penis. Uh, so naturally, when you think that, you just think, wouldn't it be funny if we got Mark Hamill to do this? Of course. Um, I don't know why. I just think there was a silliness to it that lended itself to somebody who would just, I guess, uh, I really wanted to give artists a chance to not be themselves at all. So if that meant giving a musical artist a chance to create a wacky, veiny character that they weren't typically being offered, or actors an opportunity to sing a song they wouldn't do. You know, I really wanted people to be outside of their supposed uh, wheelhouse by by the general public, I guess. And, uh, you know, that, that was part of the fun of writing these songs, is trying to, like, you know, break out of these, things that you expect and so i really wanted somebody that was fun and recognizable but that would bring really kind of fun weight to this and so uh obviously mark hamill was just a pipe dream uh unbeknownst to me completely coincidentally i did not know that mark hamill has a lifelong obsession with king kong
0: oh how fortuitous franchise
2: and all the movies (laughs) and he's been collecting king kong memorabilia ever since he was a teenager in fact he told me that King Kong was one of the reasons why he wanted to go into the movie business. And it is a very palpable, um, like, piece of his, his own life and nostalgia. And uh, he's like, man, he's like, that's the only reason why I said, said yes. And I told him, like, I wish I was that calculating. I wish I was that smart. Like, it was just utter providence that we wrote this silly song and we asked him, and I wrote him a letter. I could not believe he said yes. I could not believe he showed up. I could not believe I was vocal producing, you know, with my buddies, Mark Hamill in the booth, getting him to say the word penis several times to get the right tone. Um, <laughs> the whole thing was just a wild, wacky, upside down world that, wow. uh, that he really brought a lot of humor to. So I, I, I still can't believe he said yes, but it has mainly to do with the fact that he just loves King Kong. And that was just a total serendipity.
0: That is so, so funny. That is well, that's just as crazy. Like stuff like that literally only it, it happens truly in Hollywood. It is crazy. Um I, I ha-
2: you're absolutely right. Like any other song you would have said no.
0: Yeah. I, I'm wondering, um well actually I just want to say this as a side comment to this doesn't require a lot of response. Funny that we talk about this Mightiest Kong song that references a penis because <laughs> sorry everyone, because uh your first mention in Billboard came 10 years ago this past March, when I wrote about a star kid musical hitting the billboard cast albums chart, which was called me and my Dick, which you were involved with. So what a full circle moment, Darren. Hey,
2: what a, what a funny, funny, strange. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what Freud would say about that. But <laughs> yeah. uh, listen, if it's done well for me, Hey, you wrote this you know, stuff. Why not?
0: It's all on you. <laughs> um. Okay. <Yeah>. So last <laughs> few things. Um, And I, I I think it's interesting right now that you created, co-wrote, star, and executive-produced Royalties, which sort of sends up a portion of the music business. And on the other hand, you star in and an executive-produced the Netflix series Hollywood, which presents sort of a alternate history of the film industry during the golden age of the movie business. This couldn't have been a coincidence that these two projects happened to come out at the same time. Did Hollywood kind of speak to you in a similar but different way, kind of in the way Royalties did? Um, because it seems, I mean, it just seems really like unique that these two things happen to come out at the same time about two different facets of the business that you happen to have, you know, both of your hands in at the same time. You know what I mean?
2: Well, you know what, it is a coincidence. I, I, I you're, you're the first person to point out that there is an obvious uh, uh, connectivity between the two, but it is just sheer coincidence. I mean, I had, like I said, I've been sitting on royalties for a long time. Um, you know, when Cody picked it up, we kind of went full tilt into that. And then, um, a while after that, uh, you know, I, when I, I had a conversation with Ryan about, this, you know, uh, 1940s, uh, Hollywood kind of idea and he took it from there. And by the time everything got locked in, they were all slated around the same time. In fact, world peace was such a hot and heavy production process because I had to zoom through that in order to finish in time to shoot Hollywood. I mean, at one point I was shooting both at the same time and, and the entire time I was doing Hollywood, I was also in post-production for royalties. Last year wow. was one of the most difficult, complicated, most fulfilling, and concurrently frustrating like years of my professional life. It was like it was the, the most I've ever like been tested, and I love the chaos of multitasking. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if there really was a conscious connection connect uh, connection to both, but it is a certainly uh, convenient. Uh, press angle that I'll have to take advantage of in the future. Milk that
0: now you can now you can do one of you can do an yeah. expose of uh, the Broadway business. Um, yeah, uh,
2: done. Okay, writing it down.
0: You know, we were meant to see you on Broadway right now in American Buffalo with Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Rockwell, but the show didn't even get to open before COVID nineteen. You know, shut down Broadway. Um, is the plan still to get the show up and running when it's safe to do so?
2: Well, we're kind of at the whim of of uh you know uh governor cuomo and new york and and honestly well i should not even put new york into it we're at the moment of the pandemic um you know it's really like many shows we're just kind of waiting to see uh when things will be safe i think that's the number one priority making sure that you know the people of new york and the people visiting broadway can be safe to do so um i have my own thoughts and opinions of when i think things may come back or not but they i don't know how rooted in reality they are um i'm not a medical specialists or pandemic experts. So um, I think, I, I know that uh, Neil Pepe, our director, Lawrence Hirschman and Sam and I, Sam Ruckel and I are all very excited about doing it, uh, whether it gets to be in the, in the near future or distant future. I think we're all quite keen on making it work somehow. We had such a great time doing it. And we're also one of the very lucky shows that, you know, unfortunately for a lot of other shows that have faced a lot of hardship, we're just, we're a small play. You know, we were a limited run with uh, a three person cast in a in a in a production that has a pretty kind of lower sort of managerial overhead if my producers hear this what are you talking about it's a lot of work but uh i guess you know we're not doing a huge it's not like a multi-jillion dollar
0: musical production you know it's
2: it's exactly yeah so it gives us a certain amount of license to hopefully uh come back in whatever medium we can
0: well, Darren, uh, thank you so much for the time. It's always nice to speak to you. It's always good to catch up with you. And likewise, um, best of luck with um, God, uh, everything that's going on right now. And I can't wait to see you uh, in the flesh again someday.
2: Yes, likewise, Keith. First
0: of all, he was Thanks so much, Darren, for taking the time to uh, chat with us. Uh, always, always good to have a friend of the pod back on the show. And uh, make sure to check out royalties on Quibi, and definitely check out the music video for Mark Hamill's "Mighty as Kong." And now Keith keeps talking because it's time for the chart stat of the week. <laughs> This week in 1984, Duran Duran scored its first number one on the Hot 100 chart with Da 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 The Reflex as the track rose from number two to number one on the chart dated June 23rd, 1984. It spent two weeks atop the list. Now, The Reflex is a great example of a song reaching number one in part due to a new remix that was fashioned for its single release. Friend of the pod, Nile Rogers, who by uh, midsummer 1984 had already released a string of hits with his band Chic, of course, in the 70s, and had produced number one hits for Diana Ross and David Bowie, remixed the Reflex for its single release. The track was the first of two number ones for the British band, which would hit the top again in 1985 with the title song from the James Bond film A View to A Kill. All told, the group has collected 21 hits on the Hot 100, including 15 top 40 singles. So there you have it. This week in 1984, Duran Duran got its first number one on the Hot 100 with The Reflex. The Reflex child, Okie dokie, Jason. That was a whole lot of Keith talking there at the end. So sorry about that. All good. Uh, <laughs> All good? Any, anything else you'd like to say any parting words uh, any any uh, uh, uh kernels yeah. of
1: wisdom just wanna I just want to thank uh, Darren Chris again and uh, the uh, the song to go out on uh, I loved his song with his brother Chuck as part of that duo computer games uh, from a few years ago uh, the song every single night still a, a really good jam oh. so computer games every single night thanks again to Darren uh great we'll go out on that and we'll see you guys next time
0: bye we can work it out will you dance with
1: me i